sisters, join the resistance. Come on, let's start by talking tactics. Have a pass and match this. Here's how we practice. The last order conversation. David Jason. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Pop Culture Continuum. This is John Elliott. This is Patrick Riccardi. What that pause was for. And this week we have a returning special guest. Guest? Ooh, I'm, I'm dying to hit. Oh, hi, David Schneider. David Schneider, named after, of course, the handyman on One Day at a Time. David Moncrief. And this week we're doing, Pat? Moving Pictures versus uh, whatever the other Hold one was called. Hold Your Fire. Yeah, Hold Your we're Fire. Doing Rush. Since, Obviously, it really stuck with you. Yep. Since Neil Peart died, what, I don't know, five years ago now, uh, we're finally getting around to doing another. We've we've done two Rush episodes before, actually. Oh, um, what, uh, what other ones have you done? The first one we did, we did, uh, oh, man, what was that, Pat? I know, oh, we did I don't remember. Signals versus Clockwork Angels, because that one was actually like 30 years apart. Uh, and then we did with... Uh, Amy, we did, uh, fuck. Oh, that was, uh, it was like nerdy, not nerdy, but like technically super guy music versus super woman uh, music. And it was, Rush uh, versus Tori Amos. yeah, it was Power Windows versus Tori Amos first album. Oh, okay. I think okay, I do remember that one. Yeah. The, the first Rush one was like really early on, but, uh, yeah, this week, I think the reason we picked these was because I think Moving Pictures is their most iconic album, and then I was thinking 2112 is their other most iconic album from their early period, but I don't know that Pat would be into that, or you, David, that much. I mean, that was definitely more like the the hard rock, screechy vocal. I, I also like the idea better of doing an iconic versus a, you know, a less iconic. Yes, definitely. something interesting about that. Yeah, it's definitely less iconic. I, I think I... I thought this was their last, like, really keyboard-heavy album, Hold Your Fire. So it's it's a breaking point in a way. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, Pat, uh, well, David, actually, I'll ask you, what was your what was your experience with Rush growing up? Were you a fan? Did you? Yes, I was a uh, I, you know I was never like a, a super nerdy, huge Rush fan. Uh, I don't think I ever actually owned any physical albums by them but i was all you know they were a, a band i'd love always loved hearing on the radio uh you know uh, moving pictures was definitely a favorite at that time i did see them in i did see them live once sometime it was sometime in high school so it would have been around like 85 to 87 somewhere around there so i don't know maybe the power windows tour yeah i saw them on that tour that, that was and they were touring i think here in 86 for that so Probably around then, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was always I was always a fan, but never. Uh, yeah, yeah. Never, never an insane fan, I guess. <laughs> Not one of the nerds. Have Have you guys? I I like liked them for a while, and then I you know I got more into the alternative stuff, and I thought Rush isn't cool, and I kind of disavowed them. And then when I became an adult again, I was like, oh no, I like this shit. Fuck it. I think that's not uncommon. I've heard that story a lot. Yeah. Have you have either of you seen the uh, the documentary? I think it's on Netflix. I think. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
It's good. Right. It's it's interesting. You haven't seen it, Pat? I don't think so. Unless it's a thing I watched at your house where we got to see the guy from uh, Jerry Stiller as a drummer for Rush. Oh, no. That was... <laughs> that might have just been a concert thing. Yeah. No. Um, or a dream. A, a beautiful <laughs> dream. Um, yeah. I, did, I was never a fan. I just like their hits. Yeah. I mean, if you can call them hits. Yeah. I know. What you aren't mean. they hits? I mean, aren't they like. They radio hits. Yeah. I mean, Tom I guess... Sawyer is. I think most people know Tom Sawyer. Or am I. No. I think if anybody knows Rush, they know Tom Sawyer for sure. Um, like I said, the Moving Pictures was their breakout album. But I. It also, it's not like it was played on pop radio, you know, it was played on like... The classic rock station, yeah, right? Yeah, classic rock stations more. Like classic rock stations would play modern songs and it was not seen as weird. It was still called classic rock, which I still can't get a hold of in my head. I think it's more the style, like... I guess. I get it, but it still, it still always made me laugh. It's like, this song just came out. How could it already be a classic? Well, there were, but there were bands that were classic bands like you know obviously rush had songs from the early mid 70s yeah well, i guess that's so, true yeah yeah it'd be like around earlier that's true yeah i think uh yeah the the documentary is good people should watch it on netflix if you're interested it's fun like well mostly fun but um i didn't know before i saw that about all neil pert's like hardships it's tragedy, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and early on, you know, they got. I think he got a lot of shit because he writes all the lyrics for for his like Ayn Rand stuff. But he got off that pretty quick and became more. Uh, I think he called himself a bleeding heart libertarian. <laughs> Which isn't isn't that much better, but no, the bleeding heart part though, I think, is what he was focusing on. Uh, <laughs> the emphasis in that quote, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, listening to this album, I mean, I've heard it a billion times, but listening to it for this, I was struck by like, it really is like complex in the structures, but then they they really work as songs that are not really super difficult for a listener to get into. Yeah, they're catchy. Yeah. Yeah, none of the, the 20 minute op- science fiction opuses of from some <laughs> of the, the earlier albums. They're they're pop songs almost. Yeah, but then but then if you listen to like even Tom Sawyer, it's got like different sections and stuff that but they all blend together. It's pretty it's pretty cool that they were able to do that. I don't think a lot of yeah, people were. Yeah. I, I I agree that it's it has it has a like a very hooky sound while being complex and interesting to listen to at the same time yeah well let's uh let's jump into the the first song pat's pick already mentioned the uh the boring pick i'll be thank you (laughs) Uh, honestly i think uh always tom sawyer was my least favorite song on the album um Mm. yeah i like and which is not to say uh, like especially live it's really fun and good but maybe it's just that it was overplayed but it's, I mean, it's interesting sonically, like the raw parts of it are neat at the beginning where, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know why you hate it, but. I don't hate it. Just, <laughs> I don't know what the raw parts are, but I think. <laughs> at the beginning that. where it's like, it's like all this echoing all around. And Weird it's, keyboard. Yeah. 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 
the sci-fi sounding. Yeah, uh, that's another thing they were into. Science or Neil was science fiction. Um, I don't know much about like since he he wrote all the lyrics. I don't really know much about like Getty and Alex's uh, worldviews so much. That in the documentary they just seem like kind of goofs. <laughs> um, Which is a, a good worldview to have. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Well, yeah, getting... that's, well, that's one of the things about them. I mean, going a bit of a tangent, but judging them by you know lyrically their history, that seems like they're a very serious band. But then when you see them in interviews and documentaries, they're kind of goofs. Even Neil Peart, they yeah. well, clearly have a great sense of humor about themselves. Yes, even mm-hmm. live too. Be they did all those like the they had the films like in between sets where they would have Jason Siegel and Paul Rudd and stuff and. Or that great South Park intro they they used a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, they were really funny. Um, yeah, I, I, as you know, I got to meet Alex and Getty. Did, uh, Neil didn't come out, but I did get to touch his drum set on the stage. So <laughs> this was at a meet and greet. It was at a meet and greet, and then we also went backstage. Yeah. Wow! Did you demand your money back for the meet and greet since you didn't get to meet one of the? No. Meet and greet one of them? No, it was it was known beforehand he doesn't get out for this. <laughs> so. Anyway, um, yeah, Tom Sawyer, Pat, uh, you got any I, anything I interesting we, to say about it? Uh, I think I already said the interesting part when I went, Arr! Yeah, that's true. Uh, David, was this like your the first Rush song you heard, possibly? Almost certainly, yeah. Yeah, same so, yeah, we, we were at that age where, you know, that's... We, we uh, at least me was just kind of getting into that type type of music, the kind of radio music, and that was certainly the first one that was that was played quite a bit. Yeah. Did everything on this album get airplay? And just Tom Sawyer was the most famous. This uh, limelight, this and limelight, I think. Limelight, I th- yeah, was the other main, one. Mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess uh, YYZ didn't get a lot of airplay. No, yeah. instrumentals were never big, except yeah. for uh, except for Axel F. And uh, <laughs> Rocket by Herbie Hancock. Um, all right. Well, then let's, if you got nothing to say, here's one that everybody knows, most likely. Uh, Tom Sawyer.
Okay, next pick is mine. I it was I didn't really know what to pick because I could have gone Limelight. I also really like Vital Signs, um, but I went with Red Barchetta uh, because I think <clears throat> musically it's got the most dynamics in it, and it's another one that's like it's got that main riff, but it still goes like all over the place as far as different sections and and time signatures and stuff uh, that you don't really notice. I was going to mention about Limelight, too, I think, um, is just, it's a really kind of just catchy, basic rock song. But even that, like, because it, it is all mostly riff on that, but they change, like, they change that one up a lot, too. Like, when it goes into the solo section, it really Ye- slows that- down, and, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I I was going to say, I mean, not to, obviously we're switching songs, but I, <laughs> I love that, that it's like a straight ahead rock song. And then it just like goes like half tempo into the solo and then kind of slowly comes back up to, 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 to rhythm. Yeah. But th- this album is full of that. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Anyway, Red Barchetta, I, I don't know. It's based on some book. I never read it cause it sounds boring. It's about, Oh, is it? Yeah. Um, it, it if you had the album back in the day, it, it, would tell you that uh, right after the lyrics, it was like based on the book, blah, 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 by blah, blah, blah. Oh, I, I, just, I just thought it was a story he came up with, the, yeah. the whole, the motor laws and all that. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's about, it's about a car. Mm-hmm. But they did make... Did you also, did you also pick this song because a, a personal message board we used to be in had the same name? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, it's not surprising there were a bunch of rush nerds on that message board, <laughs> but I, yeah, I don't remember that username. Uh, the song was inspired by the futuristic story A Nice Morning Drive written by Richard Foster and published in Road and Track magazine. Road and Track. Oh, where <laughs> nice. most people go for their literature, I feel like. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, like I said, the the uh, dynamics really get me on this one. Um, really good, really good use of like, of loud and and then softer and and I really like yeah, the drums on musically, this one. Sorry. Sorry, no, go ahead. Music, musically, it, 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 it really captures the lyrics very well. Yes, I agree. And this was one I used to practice on my drums all the time in my garage. Never could quite get it down perfectly. Uh, speaking of practicing on drums, Tom Sawyer, to go back to that, that was the song that every band in the high school talent show played every year, <laughs> literally every year. It was Tom Sawyer. Whose version of Tom Sawyer is best. <laughs> well, why would, is, why would they pick that? Is just because everyone liked it or is it interesting to play? I, it's gotta be fun to play. Like I never, I didn't play Tom Sawyer that much. The, uh, because you hate it. No, because, uh, I was not the strongest drummer and, and the, uh, the hi-hat was a little too fast for me to keep up through the whole song. So, um, Anyway, let's uh, yeah, let's listen to Red Bar Check.
finally, David, your pick from this album. Uh, YYZ, or as our, our friends up north would say, YYZ. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it, it always has been, uh, you know, since I started listening to the whole album, uh, my favorite. Um, something about the, and this is not to take anything away from Alex Lifeson, because I think he's a fantastic guitarist and he does a lot of fun stuff on this. But to me, this song is it's all about the rhythm section. Oh, it's for sure, the, yeah. The, the interplay between Getty and Neo is just fantastic. And, you know, again, going back to what you said before, you know, the, the, the transitions, the time changes it goes through, it's just, it's, it's fantastic. And the, you know, they do certain things that like when they go into the little, the, the little solos throughout, like, you know, uh, you know, suddenly it's, it's Getty doing a little bass riff and then it's Neo on the drums and Alex yeah. on his little, that could very, could very easily be cheesy. Like yeah. In another band's hands, like, here's the bass player, here's the drummer. They could be really cheesy, but they just, it's all seamless. Um, I, I love the, um, do you guys know the origin of the, like, that opening, the opening rhythm? You know where that comes from? No. Oh, yes. I Wait, I, I do, but. The, that's yeah. Morse code. It's Morse code for YYZ. Yes. Really? That's yeah. awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> The story goes that they that you know they they toured so much, they loved coming home to Toronto. And if if anybody doesn't know, uh, YYZ is the airport code for Toronto Pearson Airport, and they they always loved looking at their tickets and seeing YYZ and then hearing the the you know the, the Morse code when they were on a private plane. Uh, it's it's uh, so that's that was the origin of the song. But it's I just think it's it's, it's a fantastic it's a fantastic piece of music. I agree, yeah, and it's great. It's one where like. The musicianship really helps make it good because most instrumentals are are not that interesting. Uh, yes, but this one this was like a live standard forever too. Um, they always play. And your your comment on the rhythm section, um, I think the thing about it that's different than a lot of their other work and the rest of the album is that it really swings. Mm-hmm. Like. They they groove this one a lot. Do you wait? You're playing bass now, right? Yes. Do you know any Rush songs? I can sort of play this at a slower speed. Uh, not all of it, because there are some sections that are very difficult. Uh, but I can I can kind of I can play this to a point where it's recognizable. I do know Tom Sawyer. Oh, cool. Not you know. Again, I'm not saying I. I you know, nobody's going to expect, uh, uh, nobody's going to mistake me for Getty Lee, but. Would you win the high school talent show? That's, that's what John's asking. <laughs> Almost certainly not. No. By the way, this is coming out of, out of, out of but I, I also recently heard the, the story of how Getty Lee got his name. Have you guys heard that? No. His, his, obviously Getty is kind of a, a strange name. Where did Getty come from? It turns out his parents are Eastern European Jews, like first generation Canadian. So they spoke with very thick accents. His actual name is Gary, but his mother couldn't quite say Gary. So she, she, it, in her voice, it came out, Getty, Getty, come to dinner. And that his friends just started calling him Getty. Oh, yeah, I think that might have been in the documentary, too. I can't remember, though. I were his his parents. I feel like they were either in the camps or they had to leave right before they got sent there. So, they, no, they they met in the camps and got separated in okay. the Holocaust. 
and they ended up finding each other after the war. Gosh. It's a, I, I believe uh, Neil Pert used that in uh, uh, After Image. No, uh, Red Sector A, right? Red Sector A. Yep, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So a lot of tragedy in the in the Rush history, uh, but mm-hmm. not in this song. Let's yeah, let's take a listen to YYZ. It's fun. Like I said, that I mean, I could have pretty much picked any song um, off this album for this. Um, I feel like the whole first side is a highlight. I really like on the camera eye. I don't know why that like cheesy keyboard they have on there reminds me of like a early '80s like PBS special music or something. <laughs> and then Witch Hunt is is interesting. I mean, that's the most political one, um, but it's got some some cool uh rhythm work on that too and then vital signs is is like the, their flirtation with uh reggae which they were doing around that time so um yeah what did what did you think of the album overall pat i liked it a lot it's a lot of fun yeah the, from the, the i i i imagine i've listened to the whole thing before but i don't remember so this might be the first time but uh the songs i knew i liked and the songs i didn't know i liked so it was good yeah uh, the, I'd say for, for people who want to get into Rush, go with this one or, uh, Permanent Waves as the first ones, um, which was the year before and has Spirit of Radio. Uh, I would agree with that. I, I think this is probably my favorite of theirs start to finish. It's yeah. the one, it's the one I find myself going back to. Yeah. See, although I... I do have a well. I like signals a lot too. Actually, um, I have a weird affinity for uh, power windows too. Just probably because I saw them on that tour and and whatever. Um, my my weird affinity is Grace Under Pressure. I've always kind of. Really well, I love that, that one too. Yeah, that one's. Uh, I think 
I think I posted on Facebook the video for Distant Early Warning. If you want to see the most 80s thing ever, go watch uh, the Distant Early Warning video. Um, yeah, anyway, let's, let's take a quick break and we'll get on to Hold Your Fire. We had a comrade, a brave comrade. He could talk for whole days. But then he tried to be a hero. Tried talking about Shamiro to computers wearing earphones. Oh. He almost died for conversation, hallucinations, good vibrations. Van Dyke Park's greyhound racing, steeple chasing. Okay, we're back with Hold Your Fire from 1987. Uh, Moving Pictures was from 81, forgot to mention. Um, this one, like I said earlier, was kind of the last of their synth albums, and, and uh, in the documentary they talk about an Alex life that the guitar player was, was getting a little fed up with all the keyboard stuff, and, and he didn't think it was working so much anymore. And I kind of agree with him based on this album, like... Yeah, they they had kind of played it out, and uh, okay, you guys don't like this album. I like, I think it's got four good songs on it, and the rest I I've like listened to it forever. I literally don't remember the songs after I've. It's so yeah. boring. Yeah. I mean, yeah, a lot of the problem is it's it's the best rush is timeless. Yes, like a lot of the stuff from Moving Pictures, it could be released today, and you. would you you know you know wouldn't question it, but this album right. feels it feels very late eighties. Yes, and it, it yeah, and it's I just found it so boring. I mean, there's well, a few songs ballad heavy played. number one. It's just and they all blend into each other, and it's yeah. yeah I'm I'm glad that I I thought I was just stupid, and there was something I was missing when I was listening to it and not enjoying it. But I'm glad to hear that this is not a well luck well liked Rush album overall. No, I think yeah, this was like. This was what made them transition back into a more rock sound. Um, and yeah, I mean, some, it's, I mean, it, it starts like, especially with all the, the ballady stuff, it kind of starts skirting, like, I don't know, foreigner territory or something, you know, like, <laughs> I, yeah, it's a little, a little, eh, and, and definitely too reliant on keyboards. Like I said, like, Besides the songs we picked, I still can't remember the melodies from most of the rest of the album. Um, I think what's oh god sorry. I think turn the page is memorable, um, aside from the ones we picked, and I think mission is memorable, but for bad reasons. Like it sticks in my head, but I, I it's a terrible song. I think <laughs> that um, uh, Tai Shan. Yes, it's just awful. No, it's <laughs> terrible, and <laughs> I think that's one where like. They did territories on uh, Power Windows, the previous album, and so they're trying to go for another kind of like world feel for it. And then the same with the last song, which I can't even remember right now, the name of. Uh, it was kind of a ripoff of Mystic Rhythms from the previous album, but also nowhere near as good. Yeah, I think they were they were like running out of ideas with what to do with this sound and repeating themselves. Yeah, what's striking to me is this sounds like an album 
of a band that's it's yeah, like you said, out of ideas and just ready to break up because there's there's nothing good that can come after this. But they they produce good things after this. So yeah. they were able to figure out that we're, we're in a we're in a hole here. Let's fix things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. David, your thoughts overall on it. Overall on the album, it's uh, it is pretty mediocre. Yes. Uh, like I said, it's, it feels very dated. Uh, the keyboards did not help, uh, you know, the, no. the specific, not just keyboards in general, but the kind of the very specific keyboard sounds they used. Uh, it's not, there's, there's no, like you said, you can't really remember melodies for for most of them. Cause it's no, they're not, they're not hooky. There's no, no, and not that every song needs to be hooky, but there's just nothing, there's nothing catchy, nothing memorable about most of the material on this album. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think the two songs you guys picked are by far the best two songs on the album. My song is, is okay. It's like, it's pretty standard rush, but but um, not as great as their their best moments either. Um, but having said that, let's go into it because my my song will be the first. Force Ten. I think it's it's I don't know. It's what they do well, and and it's a a fine enough song. Um, it's not something I'm like, oh, Force Ten, awesome, but. <laughs> But I'll listen to it. Like, I won't fast forward it if it comes on. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on this one? No. Uh, again, it was, it was, uh, if you asked me to, like, I listened to it several times in preparation. If you asked yeah. me to hum it, I'm, I'm not sure I really could. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not hummable for sure. Not like, not like your guys's, but, uh, yeah. But I, I will say that I didn't start hating the album with this song. No. Mm. Yeah. So that's, yeah, exactly. that's a thumbs up. It's as not far until as like the third song that you start hating it, <laughs> and then most of the second side. Um, all right, yeah, let's just throw it on. Here's uh, Force Ten by Rush.
are you guys going to watch that Force Majeure movie with Will Ferrell? What? Oh, is that the I, one with uh, Will Ferrell and Julia Louis-Dreyfus, right? I think that's the name of it. I, I watched the original. Um, and but I, the original's not a comedy, is that right? Not really. I, the original was not that great. Like, I heard a lot of great things about it, and I was like, oh, this is... But maybe. I don't know. Well, as David Theory goes, not great movies are the perfect ones to remake. That's so true. Maybe it's good. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, I love Julia, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, so... Um, anyway, uh, Pat, you're... Done... Oh, no, oh. Go, go ahead. I was just wondering if she'd done any other movies. I can't think of any. Oh, there's... Oh, she was in vaca- Summer or uh, Christmas Vacation. She anyway. Was in North. Wasn't that the one? <laughs> that, that terrible Rob Reiner, Reiner one? I didn't know she was in that. Uh, my pick was Time Stand Still. I, I thought it was it had an interesting sound, and Amy Mann was in it, so you can't beat that. Yeah. No, I think it's... I think it's lyrically also... You you relate to it as you get older. Like, I I liked the song when I was 17, but um, I think it's definitely more of a, a more personal song and dealing with, with real life rather than whatever the fuck he's talking about in the rest of the album. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think it's uh, a really... It's another one I would practice on on the drums a lot and, and couldn't quite get some of the fills. Um, I also didn't have... 500 drums to work with but um uh, it sounds i i feel like this song could have been a hit if it was by somebody else uh because it's very catchy and and the guitar sound is really cool um i like everything about it you can tell it's 80s but it's it does have a timeless quality just to the melody and stuff i feel like um david your thoughts yeah, I mean, I like Amy Mann, obviously. It's a little strange for Rush to have a guest star, it feels to me. Yeah, but, the only time, it, I think. But it works. It works with the song. Uh, it's a nice enough song. I, I don't think it's going to end up in my rotation. Okay. Yeah. It wouldn't be in your top ten Rush songs? Likely not, no. I, li- I like the wistfulness of it. Um, and it's, I ca- think it's actually catchy. Like, you remember this one, so... Yeah, and I think unlike the rest, like uh, David was saying, that the rest of the album is kind of stuck in the '80s. I think this one kind of, like you said, John, does does kind of stand out. Yeah, as being less less pigeonholed. Yes, I agree. Even though it's got those keyboard sounds, I think it's one that could be made today still. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, let's let's do it. Here is time stands still.
right. And David, your pick, I think my favorite song on the album. Yeah, Prime Mover. It is It is actually a, this one, still not in my top 10, but I could see playing the song, going coming back to it. It's a it's a pretty song. The it is it does have that keyboard sound, but it's really well used. I love the intro and the the interplay with the keyboards and the bass. Getty Lee's bass work in it is great. I was gonna say the ba- I don't know obviously shit about playing bass, but it just sounds really cool. Yeah, he was using a different bass on this record than he used in the past, and I think it, it, it's a di- kind of a different sound than I, he'd previously used. Yeah, uh, and it works. It works well in in the mix. It's a uh, Again, this song doesn't really have a hook per se. There's not. I I I'd be hard pressed to tell you which part is the chorus based right. on the music, but it's still catchy. It's still catchy it's a, as it's hell. A, yeah, it's a nice melody. Um, lyrically, you know, I I have to I have to confess that I love Rush musically. I'm, I've never been a huge fan of Peart's lyrics, and it's not that I think he's a bad lyricist. I think he's obviously he 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 can. Use he uses words very well. Uh, his poetry is good, but his themes just very rarely connect to me. Yes, I, not just, I agree. Not just the Ayn Rand shit that he does. <laughs> he did mostly earlier, but it's just he's his. It, it's just he doesn't connect with me. I guess is is just the the simplest way of saying it. This song, I actually liked most of the lyrics. Like I like to me. I don't know the, the exact meaning, but to me, most of the lyrics. Kind of said like it's kind of saying that we are the prime mover as opposed to Aristotle's initial idea of a prime mover that you know it's our life and enjoy the journey and you know we create what we create and 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 enjoy it, which I liked. I like to me that's very hopeful. Yes, I think these lyrics are very strong for Neil. I think I love the anything can happen and yeah, mm-hmm. the point of the journey is not to arrive and yeah. But then he's got that verse later on where he kind of reverts and goes back to, you know, it's from the point of view of the, the, the godlike figure, the spiritual, the, you know, the proverbial watchmaker. And that kind of, to me, kind of ruined it. Like it, it kind of turned what I liked about the earlier lyrics and just made it kind of spiritual, which I'm very cynical about that. So, yeah, mm-hmm. no, I get, uh, yeah, I get that. And I, I mean, we, we talked before on, on the power windows episode, I think about, uh, like specifically the song Emotion Detector, which is the problem with his lyrics, I think, overall, is that even when he's trying to uh, talk about something like emotion, he does it in a clinical way that that makes you feel detached from the actual emotion he's trying to <laughs> convey. So I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, he's a good writer. It's just it just doesn't connect on, a, on an emotional level necessarily, his lyrics. That's a great way of saying it. Um, nevertheless, th- I I really like this song. I think I was thinking about it, and the like the the intro part. It's not just the intro; like it goes throughout. But the darn 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 um, is basically uh, "No One Is to Blame" by Howard Jones. Those <laughs> that chord progression. So, uh, which is a it's catchy a- song. Would you say, David? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Pat, thoughts on this one? Oh, I liked it. I don't really have any. I didn't pick up on the lyrics like you guys did. <laughs> All right. Well, let, let's play it for people. They can make up their own goddamn minds. Here mm. is Prime Mover.
elemental instinct to survive. Stirs the higher passions, thrill to be alive. I mean that's that's basically it for this album. Those songs. I mean, I could have maybe gone with uh, "Turn the Page" instead of "Force 10, I don't know, but it's it's not a high point in their catalog. I did. I, I got to say on the on this listen, I did also like "Open Secrets." I will give that that song a nod. It's one that I can't remember after I hear it, although I recognize <laughs> it every time it comes on. But again, like if you ask me to hum it right now, I couldn't, and I've listened to it hundreds of times, so. Hey, John, can you hum Open Secrets, please? Oh, I couldn't, Pat. Sorry to oh. say. So you weren't lying. Nope. So Google says Google Play Music calls Moving Pictures Classic Rock and it calls Hold Your Fire Progressive Slash Art Rock. Hmm. I don't Make even know that. that I would put it in that category. Make of that what you will. I, I wouldn't call it progressive. I would call Moving Pictures more progressive rock than this, but um, I know. I don't know what you call it. Um, new wave influenced classic rock? Mm. Maybe? I don't know. NWIC, this doesn't have a real. Nwick! <laughs> well, I guess it does. Never mind. Uh, yeah. All right, we did it. There's your tribute, Neil. Mm. Sure. Sal- salute. Yeah. He was, he was probably the greatest rock drummer of all time, I would say. I think so. People talk about Keith Moon and John Bonham, but to me, Keith Moon is is just like kind of sloppy and well, so is John Keith Bonham Moon, a bit to me. Keith, yeah, Keith Moon was a perfect drummer for for the Who, but yeah. he was very sloppy. And John Bonham was a perfect drummer for Led Zeppelin, I guess, but I'm not a Zeppelin fan, so it. I mean, he he was a good heavy drummer for sure, but did did they both die early? Did, or yeah, this, yeah. They both died within a year of each other, actually, I think. Um, yeah. Did they both choke on vomit? I w- they were both drug-related, drug or alcohol-related in any case. Yeah. 
I'm pretty sure, yeah. Um, although I will say, I don't know, uh, you know the song Fool in the Rain by Led Zeppelin? Mm-hmm. Very good drums on that. It's uh, it's one of the few times I appreciated his drumming. But yeah, no, I agree. The, definitely, in my book, the best the best he was al- drummer. He was almost a lead drummer. Like his very his drumming was very melodic. Yes. And beyond that, I don't think most drummers have as much to do with the direction of a band like he does. No. As far as lyrics and and just like kind of the face of the band, I guess. When you think of Rush, you think of him. I don't know if you think of him first. I think but, people think of Getty usually, but Yeah. You they're... think of him early at least. <laughs> Earlier than most drummers. Yeah. Oh yeah. I th- you should you should watch that documentary, Pat. There's a scene where Getty and Alex are in a diner, and this the waitress comes up and asks for Getty's autograph, and and just completely ignores Alex. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I mean he was he was a big mover there, and you're right, David. Like he was he was a melodic drummer, um, and he could he could do a lot of stuff that could be show offy, but he made it fit in the song. So yeah, he was, he was one of the best. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Should we go on to recommendations? Asians, 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 uh, David, sure. you're the guest. Have you got okay. one? Okay. I do. I've been watching McMillions on HBO. Oh yeah. Oh, is, me too. Is that good? I, I haven't watched it. I'd say it's good. I don't know if I'd say it's great, but it's it's fascinating. It's it's uh, so if you don't know, it's it's about the uh, a heist. What was it in the eighties, eighties, early nineties? Yeah, of people stealing the the winning tickets to the McDonald's lottery game, and and you know getting all basically all the million dollar prizes were were hoaxes, were faked. Somebody was stealing them and giving them out to people they knew and taking a cut of it. So it was it was basically a fraud, and this documentary is like what is it a five part documentary, something like that, five or six parts, and it's basically an a, a FBI procedural of how the FBI were kind of tipped off to that that this might be happening, and how they you know they went undercover, they did this this fake film crew where they went and did a, a documentary interview with the winners to try and get more information. Uh, it's it's really well done. It's it's really well, you know, they do some reenactments. They do interviews with this, you know, one of the FBI agents is kind of a nutcase, but yeah. really, <laughs> really fun to watch. He's a goofball, yeah. Oh, that thing, sounds good. It's really good. The thing that, that it really strikes me is is we're kind of in a golden age of the documentary. Before streaming, before Netflix, and this is on HBO, but I think this applies to that as well. I think – when would this have been made? When would we have seen a documentary like this yeah. before Netflix started making them? Mm-hmm. And it's just it's it's wonderful. I love I love great documentaries like this. Yeah, and these I mean I guess PBS would have the like the Ken Burns style documentary that would go over a number of days, but that was not the the common. But there's so many now that are more like the the one on Netflix about the cult. There's more than one episode, and mm-hmm. it's it's definitely more common now. And it, it is wonderful that they're able to like really dive dive deeper than they were able to before there's a market uh, for it it's great yeah yeah, yeah. Well, i think pat and i had talked about it before i i said i'd never really seen a terrible documentary because they have to be good just to even get released they're so like they were so niche right you know 
Um, I, I'd like to see what Errol Morris would do with the, like with one topic over a number of, of episodes because he I always liked his short like well not short but you know his his documentaries I just like to see what he could do with with more time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, it's it's good. It's really interesting. Uh, is, is the mob involved? You asked Pat. Of course they are. I don't remember. Yes, they are. That. Um, okay, Pat. What you do were you thinking have? It. <laughs> Also, Errol, now that I think about it, Errol Miles probably thinks it's bullshit to have to use more than two hours to tell a story, so never mind. <laughs> uh, mine's a little weird because I think you'll hate this, John, but uh, my recommendation is on The Athletic, which is a sports site, Joe Posnanski, who is a, a, a columnist, is writing this write-up of the 100 best baseball players who ever lived, and it's amazing. Each like each player gets like a column, I don't know how many words, but a, a long column, and they're fascinating stories about... like. He talks about like their stats as players, but also the the stories of growing up and their and it dives pretty deep into the Negro League. So players I've never heard of, and uh, a couple players from um, I think at least one or two from Japan. And it's just really, really like what I like about sports writing when I when a tran- like it transcends sports and it tells a story. And they're all they're all really well written. So if you have a subscription to the Athletic, you should. If you don't, you should get one. If you do, you should read this. Yeah, I, I mean. My problem with it wouldn't be the the sports; it would be the writer. It sounds kind of ethnic. Mm. <laughs> and um, uh, special for David Calvertkin is in the list. Nice. I do appreciate that. Oh, right. and the other Baltimore guy. I forget his name. Brooks Robinson. Oh, there's one more than one famous player from Baltimore. Hard to believe. Uh, my my pick is uh, Pain and Glory. Have either of you seen it? Mm-mm. Oh, it's worth a rent on Amazon. Okay, if you can, it's the Almodovar, his movie from last year, and I think it should have won Best Picture, and I definitely think Antonio Banderas should have won Best Actor for it. It's uh, it's just like kind of a beautiful movie. I don't know how else, if I like told you the plot, it would sound boring, but uh, yeah, it was my my favorite of last year by by far. So it sounds uh, like you agree with Trump. How so? He also thought Parasite shouldn't win Best Picture. Oh, did wait? Did he say that? Yeah, because it's, it's South Korean. It's not an American picture. God, of course he. He said, "Why? Why can't that when we have a trade deficit with him? Why can't something like Gone with the Wind win again?" Jesus. Why? Yeah. Why did that win in the first place? <clears throat> Overly long. I I like I told you, Pat. I thought Parasite was okay. I thought it was a bit. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Just like Trump. Yeah. No, I thought, yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. I, I look forward to it. Did you see it, David? No, I have not. I thought the social commentary was a bit obvious. I mean, it was, it was fine. I didn't hate it. I just, uh, I, I mean, I thought Knives Out was a better movie than Parasite. But I really Knife, liked Knives Out. Knives Out was, was fantastic. Yeah. Um, all right. I guess that does it. Who knows when we'll do another episode. We, we're kind of laissez-faire about it now. Um, but we'll, we'll think of some, oh, I guess we should do our, our best songs of the second half of 2019 before it's 2021, Pat, but, oh my goodness. Um, mm. yeah, we can come up with that at some point. Um, all right. Any, anything else, any pressing business before mm. we conclude this meeting? Mm. I've been right. taking the minutes. Well, we, how's that going? It's awful. How many are there? 
Uh, let me see, 22 that I've counted, but I'm not really good at counting either. Nope, that's only in the second half, Pat. You fucked it up already. Oh, well. Um, all right. Well, then I guess that'll do it for this time. Uh, Pat, do whatever the hell you do there at the end. Write to us at popculturecontinuum at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Rate us highly on iTunes. But most importantly, tell your friends to listen. Yeah, they can find us. Cool. Well, thanks for having me on the show again. It's yeah, thanks back. for coming on. Yeah, thanks for coming. Fun. It was always great. And uh, until next time, we'll see you guys. No, we won't next see time. you. We'll talk to you. We'll talk at you later. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.